He presses on when the enemy is taking a backward step. Take note, if you will. It says a couple of verses before our opening reading in Genesis 14, please. It says in verse 13, And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew. Just uh, by the way, that's the first time you'll read the word Hebrew in your Bible too. Told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eschol, the brother of Anor, and these were confederate with Abram. And we find these men in verse 24. Abram says to the king of Sodom, the enemy returns to him. Abram says to the king of Sodom, I won't take a thread or a shoe latchet from you except for the men. Notice Abram himself, the man, the elect, the chosen of God. I will not take anything of your ungodliness, all of your ill-gotten gains. Except these men. They can take what they have taken. In other words, he's saying, these were Amorites, these were not even Israelites. They can take it. So this is how we can work these things out from verse 13 to verse 24. Notice what it says there in verse 14. And Abram heard that his brother was taken captive. Now, it says his brother was taken captive, but really it's his brother's son. It's just the language they would use. It's his nephew. He armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. Now, take note, he pursues right through to Dan, and he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. Now he goes further again. He keeps pressing the enemy back. He's now on the offensive. And then when we get to verse 16, and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. He not only recovered his nephew, as it says his brother, but his nephew Lot, but he also recovered the Lot. He recovered everything. Reminds me of the song we would sing sometimes here. I went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from me. Abram went to the enemy's camp and he took back what the enemy had stolen from him. In Isaiah 28 verses 5 and 6, We see again that through the Lord, Israel, later years from Abram, of course, but it says in chapter 28, verse 5, In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of of his people. A remnant. There's a godly remnant. wonder how many of us are willing to be a godly remnant of the Lord's people. I mean, a remnant that will serve him, but a remnant that will stand for him and stop, step out for him. A remnant that will speak for him. Notice here, verse 6, it says, and, and for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment, and for strength to them. Notice, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. 
that turn the battle to the gate. Now, the residue and the remnant not only defend here against the enemy, but they repel the enemy. I want you to, uh, I want you to note here, not only is it that the enemy is at Jerusalem or even in the, around the cities of Israel, but he's saying it's not just the city, they'll go outside and repel the enemy right back. They'll go right into, as it were, the enemy camp and take back what the enemy has stolen from them. When I was writing this, I had a question that I asked myself, so I jotted it down. And this is what I've written. Why is it that we Christians always seem to be the ones who are on the defensive side of things? Why is it that we Christians are always the ones who are on the defensive side of things? When others can say what they want and act how they want and do what they want and call us all manner of things how they like and treat us how they want, why is it that we always feel we have to be on the defensive or that we are on the defensive side of things? Or worse still, we are on the submissive side of things. Why do we feel we always have to submit? Some people say it's for testimony. If it's for righteousness, your testimony will be when you stand for righteousness. Why are we on the submissive side of things? And even worse again, why do we always be, why are there those who are the defeatists Defeatists, rather than being confident in the Lord and in what his word says. Why is it they all seem to want to attack and the, uh, the Christian seems to roll up into a ball, pull the duvet over the head and stay in bed? Or why is it that when the enemy attacks, we always seem to be those ones who are not willing to take the offensive side of things The world tells us when we say that Christ is the only way, when we say that it's only by the blood of the Lamb can your sins be forgiven, when we call out those things in Scripture that are unrighteous, how is it that when they say we are offended, that's because we are on the offensive. That's why they're offended. We are on the offensive, pushing back the tide of wickedness. The gospel offends brothers and sisters. The word of God offends those who hate the word of God. And the truth of the word has become the new hate speech. So when someone says you're offensive, and if it's according to the word, and if it's according to the scripture, and it's for righteousness against something, then be offensive. We don't mean to offend, but sometimes we have to offend and be on the offensive for God. In Proverbs chapter 3 and in verse 26, it says, For the Lord is thy confidence. 
The Lord is thy confidence. See the word confidence there? It's a word kesel. I know people like to write down the words, so it would be K-E-H-S-E-L, kesel. And this is what it gives the idea of. When God is your confidence and my confidence, it gives the idea of the inner muscles of the thigh or the loin area. That's what it says. Strange, isn't it? The Lord is thy confidence. The Lord is the, he's like the inner muscles of your thighs being strengthened. Around the loin area being strengthened. That's what the confidence of the Lord means here. In other words, he enables us to have a firm stance. To be strong in the leg, as it were. Maybe sometimes we need to dig our heel in and have a firm stance in God, especially in the days which we live in. For example, it can also mean the fat around the kidneys, the bowels, and your inward parts being strengthened. Uh, if you're writing, take a notes, right? Leviticus chapter 3, look at verses 4, 10, and 15. And this is the word that is used for that example. It gives the idea of that which is taken and burned in the sacrifices of Israel. And so for the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. In other words, the, the foot of anxiety. The foothold of, of your worry, the foot of dread and the foot of defeat. The Lord will strengthen your stance. That's what it means. Your confidence isn't in your weakness, but the conf- your confidence is in your strength and stance as though your loin area is strengthened. So the Lord will be your confidence and he will keep thy foot from being taken away. He gives you a, fur, a sure footing. He gives you a stronghold footing. And in that, in that, whether it's worry or fear, anxiety, whatever it may be, pressure at work, pressure at home, let the Lord be your confidence where you're standing firm because you know that he's with you. You know that he's for you and not against you. You know that he is within you. Brothers and sisters, we, think, we see here Abram. Abram had what it took to recover everything. Notice here, the Lord will not only be your confidence, he'll be your protector to keep you safe. He will also be your confidence to keep you secure. You know who you are in Christ. So in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, listen to what the Hebrew writer says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence which hath great recompense of reward. Don't cast away your confidence. Let us not think we can do these things outside of God's word. Let us not think we can do these things outside of God's help. And let us not think we can do things outside of God's grace and God's strength. The word here for confidence is a word Parasia, parasia, P-A-R-R-H-A-Y-S-E-E-A-H. 
parousia. Listen to what it means. Casting not away your freedom of speech. You can look this up. These are what this word is used for in the original Greek text. Cast not away your confidence, your freedom of speech. Cast not away the idea of your unreservedness in speaking. Cast not away being able to speak openly, frankly, and boldly, with nothing hidden. Notice here, here's an example for you. John chapter 11 and verse 14. The Lord Jesus is being told that Lazarus, he whom thou lovest is sick. Will you come and heal him? And the Lord Jesus doesn't go right away. And when he comes, Martha comes to him and said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother would not have died. But before he goes, the disciples are saying, are you not going to go? And Jesus turns to the disciples. They, he says, There's, he's sleeping. Lazarus is sleeping. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, he does, he'll do well. In other words, he'll heal. And it says in John 11 and verse 14, And Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Gives the idea that Jesus said, when they returned to him and says, well, then he'll do well if he's sleeping. Jesus turned and said, Lazarus is dead. That's the way he says it. Lazarus is dead. You see the forthrightness, the confidence of our Lord Jesus Christ as he speaks these words. Sometimes we, I don't mean to offend anyone because we can all be like this, but we can be mealy-mouthed. We can be mealy-mouthed. Not giving the, the truths of the word. Not speaking out what the word says. And not letting others know. And being afraid to take our stand with our confidence in Christ. Being strengthened and girded by him. Notice here. One more example for you. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Listen to what it says. Having therefore, brethren... Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The word there, boldness, is the exact same word, parousia, for confidence. For Jesus spoke plainly. The boldness isn't arrogance. The boldness here isn't with irreverence. The boldness is having the confidence that you're coming as a child of God. That you're coming to your heavenly Father, to the throne of grace, as a blood-washed, blood-bought child of the King. That you have a boldness, and it's like your children can come to you, Mommy, Daddy. Mommy, Daddy. And they, they can come to you where other children don't have the same ability to do that. So when we come boldness, we come through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the boldness isn't trying to order God what to do, as some people try and put this, with a reverence. No. It's coming with an assurance, a confidence in ourselves that you're my Father. You're my Heavenly Father. And your Father loves you. 
Your heavenly Father loves you this morning. So, brothers and sisters, as it said in Isaiah 28 and 6, that the remnant turned the battle to the gate, or some renderings would say they'd taken the battle to the gate. The idea isn't that they just took it to their gate. As Abraham didn't take it just to his gate. He just didn't take it to the plain valley, to the valley of Shaveh. He pushed them through it. He took them off it. He went straight up to Dan. This valley of Shaveh is only about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. So he had some traveling to do. And then out towards Damascus to the left-hand side of it. And there he made sure the enemy was well outside of the camp or the land of Israel. He took the battle. He turned the battle to the gate. The enemy fought. He fought hard. He tried his best. And that's what he does with you. The enemy will fight against you. He'll fight hard. And the enemy will try his best with you. Try to defeat you. Try to rob you. Try to take from you. But brothers and sisters, when the enemy comes... It isn't about you laying down and rolling into a ball until the enemy leaves. Because he wants to kill you. He wants to take you away from Christ. He wants your faith to win. No, you take the battle to the enemy. Take the battle to the gate. Not your gate. To his gate. In other words, kick him the whole way home. Stand strong in the faith. The confidence of Christ, boldness before heaven, knowing that God is with you, within you, for you, and on your side. With the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and there you can put on the whole armor. And you can take the battle to the gate. The, the term for a defeatist idea, a, a person, a defeatism, is an attitude of accepting, expecting, or being resigned to defeat. I'm going to say it again. Defeatism is an attitude of accepting, expecting, and being resigned to defeat. That's from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. How many of us an answer in our own hearts. How many of us, whether wherever wherever we've been, whenever it's been, whatever it's been, many times can't see past the problem. You can't see through the attitude of others. You can't see change nor turn around. And let's be honest when we when we think of it. We start to get a defeatist attitude, especially when we're on our own. Especially when we're in our own house. Especially when we're maybe even trying to sleep at night. And we fully then start to accept what is happening as final. We start to expect the worst to happen. Or we then resign ourselves just to let it all take over and have the victory. We start going down in a spiral 
right down to the bottom until we see there's no hope. We go into a dark black hole, of, if you want. Many of us have been like that. I'm sure most, if not all of us, have been like that. Brothers and sisters, do you not know that God hath not given us a spirit of fear? Notice he has not given us a spirit of fear. Or you can even put timidity. God doesn't even want you to be timid about these things. But of power. Spirit of power. A mindset of power. And of love. That he loves us. A sound mind. You turn with me, please, to 1 John 4, please. 1 John 4. Let's read verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. What spirit are you believing? What spirit whispers to you? What spirit are you taking in? What spirit are... Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Or another spirit? Is this spirit telling you the truth? Because the, the Holy Spirit, he is called the spirit of truth. What spirit is whispering in your ear? It might be in bed at night. It might be in the thoughts in your mind. It might be another person. whispers in your ear. Have you tried that spirit to see what manner of spirit that is? Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the word. Notice, ye are of God. Ye are of God. Are you saved this morning? Are you saved? S A V E D. Saved. It's a biblical word and a biblical term and a biblical thing. Are you saved this morning? Are you blood washed this morning? Are you blood bought this morning? Are you a child of God this morning? It says here, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak, speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. That's why when you're out in work or out in your street or out shopping or out with wherever you're going in the park and you're, you're telling people, yes, about the things that are happening, about the things of God, and you are having your confidence and your loins girt about with the truth and the strength of the Lord, and you have the boldness, why they hate the things you're saying. They hate the Christ in you and in me. 
But if you talk of the conquests of the weekend, if you talk of the alcohol that they had drank, drunk, and if you talk of the foul mouth things and the, the, the pornographic things and the wicked things, they love to hear it. And the bad news and the doom news and the gloom news. They, they love to have that soul. But speak of the gospel, the good news of Christ. Well, they hear it because they're off the world. Brothers and sisters, you can tell what manner of a spirit a person is off by the things that they speak most about. I'm going to say it again. You can tell what manner of a spirit a person is off by the things which they speak most about. Not about the odd thing they post on Facebook and a little scripture. About the thing they speak most about is filling their spirit. And that's the spirit they're off. But if they're full of Christ, if they love Christ, if they're Christ's and they love the word of God, they will speak of the word, the things of God and the things of Christ on a continual basis. And they won't go on about Antichrist, but about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can tell what manner of spirit they're off. You don't have to be uh, some sort of highfalutin churchman to understand these. And most of them aren't saved anyway. A man and a woman speaks off mostly. That's what's full in their heart. Let Christ fill your heart. Yes, we need to know these things. Yes, we need to be aware of these things. Yes, we need to hear. But we need to hear of Christ. Notice what he says. Verse 5, they are off the world. Therefore, speak they off the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. First of all, he says in verse 4, ye are of God. Then he says in verse 6, we are of God. You know what he's saying? You and I, the apostle, John himself, the, uh, the, the apostle of love. He says, you and I are the same. In other words, the same Christ that he knew, that he saw crucified and risen from the dead. He says, the same Christ I have is the same Christ you have. The same one who saved me is the same one who saves you. The same one who bought me with his blood is the same one who bought you with his blood. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not God knoweth not God, for God is love. Greater is he who is in you. Oh, the devil's attacking me. Listen, he's defeated. Christ crushed his head. Do you not know that? Christ crushed his head at Calvary. And we give too much credence to the devil. The devil doesn't do most of the things that people blame him for. You know that. It's usually our own depraved nature. Notice here, 
Do not accept that which a lying spirit will tell you. No defeat and do not be resigned to it. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, Paul tells us that we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors through him that loved us, that nothing goes through a whole litany of it, a whole list of it. Nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, he tells us, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, he tells us what to do. James says, submit yourselves. It's the problem with our human nature. We don't want to submit. We don't want to submit to God. We'd submit ourselves to the devil every day without thinking of it if we could. Our depraved nature feels and looks and is drawn that way to the things of this world. Him being the the God of this world, with a small g that is, of this system of things. And yet, James tells us we should submit submit yourselves therefore to, to God. Resist the devil. Just resist him. And what will he do? He'll flee from you. I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to the word of God. I'm not listening to you, devil. I'm not listening to you, negativity. I'm not listening to you to the person who's worldly and carnal. I'm not listening to that other spirit. Even people with a suit, a shirt, and a tie on in a church. Even to some people who come and profess Christ with their mouth and there's no, no passion in their heart, no possession of Christ. No, the word of God says, and I will submit myself to God and the devil will flee. You know why? Because he doesn't like the word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul tells us, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then he talks about the armor of God and what it is and put it on. By the way, see the word wiles? It's the word methodia. Wiles is the word methodia. It's where you and I get our word method. The methods of the devil. The methodia of God. The devil's methods to pull you down. The devil's methods to draw you away. The devil's methods to make you weak. The devil's methods to make you sin. The devil's methods to steal, kill, and destroy. You put on the armor of God. Stand firm. And you push the battle to the gate. Don't just say, oh, he's gone now. Get into prayer. Get into fellowship. Get into the word. And mind your company. Because bad company corrupts good manners. Mind your company. So in Genesis 14... Verses 14 and 15, we read that Abram, as it were, turned the battle to the gate. That is, went right outside and pushed into the enemy camp. In Genesis 14 and verse 16, Abram recovered all. He recovered Lot, and Abram Abram recovered the Lot. And now, in verse 17, he gets rid of one devil. He gets into the, the plain or the, the valley, if you want, of Shaveh. 
And there in this flat plain where the battle began and all the enemy is gone, guess what? The king of Sodom comes. He knows he can't defeat Abram. And Abram's not worried about him because he knows that too because Abram went and he, he's only after defeating that king who defeated Sodom. So he knows he's all right that way. Then the king of Sodom comes and the devil comes and uses him a different way. Notice this. The enemy will come. This is what I've written. The enemy will come to where you are. Right to the valley of Shaveh. Right into your level plane. When things have leveled out for you. You know when you've come through a lot and things have leveled out in your life? You may not be in the mountain. You may not be in the deep ravine but you're in a level valley. There's a bit of room. Breathing space, as we would call it. And things have eased up a little bit. And the devil's nowhere to be seen because you've been in battle, as it were, through the strength of the Lord and you've girded your loins with a confidence in God and with boldness you've pressed on in the faith. And suddenly everything seems to be easing and you're in that time where, you know, even I've got the victory. You know what we tend to do? We tend to put all our weapons down. And lie back on our laurels. The enemy will come to where you are, right into the valley of Shaveh, because the level playing field is where he may not be able to defeat you at this point, but I'll tell you what he can do. He can tempt you. He can tempt you. Listen to our Lord Jesus, when he's praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the original text we'd have, the evil one. Abram is here with another evil one of Sodom. We all know the story of Sodom. And actually, after rescuing Lot, Lot then goes to Sodom later. And the angel of the Lord has to bring him back out of Sodom, has to rescue him. And then, of course, the Lord rains fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. But in here, the devil comes. Listen to James 1 and 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and is enticed. The word drawn away is the word axelko. E-X-E-L-K-O. And this is what it means. It gives the idea of someone who is hunting or fishing. I think of the fisherman men here. There's two down there, and I don't think they've caught a fish hardly in the last four years that went out. <laughs> I think they stop at Sawyer's Fish Shop on the way up and buy one. Say, look what we got. Gives the idea. You don't know what I mean. Or maybe someone who hunts. You put out a bait, something to draw. If you're out hunting, you, you put something out. Uh, someone with, with, uh, that goes hunting ducks, I don't hunt animals. I don't like it. You put out the, a, a duck or whatever it is and, and you're blowing the, the duck do. I don't know what you call it. <laughs> What's a duck do? Quack, quack. What do you call it, Ian? See, I told you he goes hunting too and he doesn't know. Don't do ducks. What do you call it? It's a duck call, yes. She just done quack, quack, it'll be easier. And it gives the idea of something like that is put out to draw them in, to draw them in. 
And so Sodom, the king of Sodom comes and he says, you take everything, give me the people. See you, pastor of your church, you can take everything. You can have a cozy life. You can have a good life. You can have a rich life. You can have an easy life. You don't need to get into trouble. And you don't need people contacting you. And you don't need the people giving you all of their, their, their hassles and their troubles. Give them all to me. And you can take the riches of things. The easy life of things. But give me the people. You may say to you in your personal life here, don't you like this? Isn't it easier for you to take this than to go on with God? Isn't it easier this Saturday night to be out doing this than getting up on a Sunday morning to be in the house of God? Here, what about this? Isn't it easier to go out and do X, Y, Z with whoever else and and not be out at your meeting tonight tonight? Isn't it easier for you to do this and sit and read his word? Here, there's a good glossy magazine for you. It tells you all the gossip. Give me the word of God. Brothers and sisters, they're drawn away, James says, when they're, they're tempted when they are drawn away of his own lust. It's what your lust is. What your lust is. He will use it to take you away. What your lust is, he will use it to draw you away. What your lust is, he will use it to lure you until he gets you. It actually gives the idea of a harlot coming to seduce you. Be like Joseph when Potiphar's wife tried to do the same and flee. May God give us all the grace to flee these things. And we all have our problems. We all have our weaknesses. Here, Abram. Abram means a high father. Here, You take all of this stuff, but I want the people. You imagine all those people being handed over to go to Sodom? Here, parent, you take it easy, but let me put on TV. Let me put on from on YouTube or whatever and and give me your kids. Even the things that look innocent and they're not sublime with all messages. Let me bring them to Sodom. Oh boy, hits all of us, doesn't it? That hits every one of us. The word enticed is the word deladzo, and it means to catch by a bit. Until he's caught you. Catches you with the alcohol. So just the one. Just the one. Listen, I was addicted to drugs before I was saved. And I was against them for years. 
You know what happened? I was out on a bus run and everyone was on it but me. Just the one. And I took it and it near destroyed my life. It did destroy my life. It was Christ who raised me up again. Caught me. Took hold of me. So I'm going to finish. The devil will come to the valley of Shavah, Shavah, pardon me, that plain where you think you think you've got settled, the enemy's done, you can take that bit of rest. You may not be on the mountaintop and everything is brilliant, but he will come because he knows that there's a place that he can meet you that you're still not strong enough in, that you haven't strengthened, that you haven't brought before God, and he will use that weakness. Notice in the valley of Shaveh who comes along, verse 18. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and he blessed, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and he shall give him tithes of all. Brothers and sisters, I finish with this little point. You need to remember and I need to remember that in the valley of Shaveh, in the plain, the widespread, that place where where you've got over the worst of it, the enemy's out of the camp, and you've even maybe battled him to the gate, his gate, and you've taken back even what the Lord or what the enemy, pardon me, has stolen from me and from you, and you think, Lord, what do you do now? And the, and the enemy comes a different way to tempt you, to entice you, to test you. Well, here's the thing, brothers and sisters, you have to remember, the Lord is with you. Melchizedek appears in the same plane. Melchizedek weighs into the same conversation. Melchizedek says, I'm not looking anything from you, Abram. You know why? Because salvation is by grace. He brings him bread and wine. Now, Melchizedek will have to do a study on that sometime. According to Hebrews 7, you know, father and mother without descent. And so people believe this is the Lord Jesus before Bethlehem who came himself offering the bread and wine. That is as we broke bread this morning and we drank from the cup this morning. Here is a prefiguring of the Lord coming here. Here, here's the, the power of the blood. Here's the power of the death of Christ. Here's the power of the cross. There are some that believe it was Shem, Noah's son. He would have still been alive if you do the lineage at this point. Brothers and sisters, here's a little warning for us. Even after great times of blessing, of victory. Even if you're in a meeting and the Lord's spoken to you. Even if we're here and no one of those meetings you leave and you go, wow, Lord, you've spoken to me. You've strengthened me. You've blessed me. You know one of those meetings even when you're singing unto the Lord and you're singing your head off because you can't stop because the Lord is just in the midst? Do you know one of those meetings? And everything's great. You see, you're starting to climb the mountain. You're coming out of Shaveh even. And everything's going great. Well, here's the problem, what we must remember. Sometimes when we're so blessed, we forget the God who blessed us. You and I should be ready for battle at all times. Because when things are well, sure, sometimes God's nowhere in the periphery. God's maybe the afterthought of the day sometimes.
you and I should be ready for battle at all times. And you and I should be not only in those days of blessing when we're heading up the mountain, when we're ready to, you know, we feel that we, we, we can just relax now. And it's good to have that. But brothers and sisters, let us remember and ask ourselves, why is it when God blesses us, we always try and ruin it? What do you mean you try and ruin it? You take the, shoe, the thread or you take the shoe latchet. You take the thread or you take the shoe latchet from Sodom. Go over that battle, the enemies. We're victorious. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is great. Now everything's turning for you in your life and you're up the mountain and next thing this, the king of Sodom says, here, before you go, there's the, there's the thread, there's the shoe latchet. I sure what will that matter. I'll take that from you then. Thank you. And the devil goes, see, I blessed you. I done this for you. But Abram says, I will not have you say you blessed me. The God of heaven, the possessor of heaven and earth has blessed me. Let's remember these things, brothers and sisters. And let's always give him the glory. Pray in, on the mountain with the same fervency that you prayed when you were in the valley. Pray on the mountain with the same fervency as you prayed when you were in the valley, with the same need when you were crying unto God with all your heart. Pray and pray it through. Because I'll tell you why. Because if you don't, the enemy will come and he will entice you he can't defeat you, which he can't because you're Christ, you're his, greater is his in you, his in the world, he will entice you to sin. God bless us this morning. The valley of Shaveh, God willing, I'm going to look at another valley next Sunday morning. May God bless us. Time to come up. Time to